Welcome to a special and unique co-episode of Depolarized Podcast and the Homebrewed Culture Cast, hosted by Amy and Christian Pyatt. I met them last week at a thing called Theology Beer Camp down in LA, which is exactly what it sounded like. And we got to talking about the Women's March. That was the day after the inauguration. And Amy and I were kind of realizing we shared some similar concerns about it, some similar hopes. But rather than just talk about it together, we thought, let's do a joint podcast episode since we are both podcasters. Christian said yes. And so here we are. Now, the reason I was at Theology Beer Camp, as some of you may have picked up on by now, is that I am launching another podcast about theology with my co-host, John Rains. That should be coming out in the next month or two, so you can look for that. It's called Reconstruct. But for now, we're sticking to politics and social questions. This is being hosted on both of our feeds, so if you are listening on the Depolarize feed and you want to hear more from Amy and Christian, go check out the Homebrewed Culture Cast feed and subscribe to their show. If you're listening on the Culture Cast feed and you are somehow not annoyed with me, come on over to Depolarize and join us, join the conversation over here. Our guest today, Jessica Hecox, was involved in the Women's March in Portland. In fact, she runs a organization that tries to service the homeless population of Portland, and she was there as part of that and witnessed some of the march, and she had a really interesting experience, which you're going to hear about, that was not quite typical, but we're going to get into all kinds of questions about the march, the exclusion of pro-life sponsors, we're going to talk about turning catharsis into action, we're going to talk about all the stuff that we are hopeful about with this movement. We're going to talk about skepticism that some of us have. Um, it's really a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. And we're going to get into how liberal women can try and speak to conservative women and find some common ground on a lot of these concerns. That's a long enough intro. Let's just get into it. And Jessica, thank you for joining us. So yeah. I think a good first question would be, tell us a little bit of background about yourself and how that led you to join the march. Well, I think coming as as it was getting closer, I felt really strongly, as did my husband and my son, that we wanted to make our voices heard and obviously not happy with the election results and, and really not happy with the kind of overall vibe of our country. It's, it's, uh, wasn't going in a great direction and, um, continues to be that way. So the March felt like something that was something that we all wanted to be a part of and show some solidarity and connect with all of those people. And yeah, I, I mean, how to, to look at it from the before perspective versus the perspective I have now, it's like those things don't feel connected at all anymore. Interesting. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, and I didn't, I didn't expect to arrive at the place that I, that I have that I'm currently at, which is that I don't necessarily feel completely apathetic or disgruntled or frustrated. I just don't feel as connected to all of that um, energy 
I don't feel connected to it. And partially it's because, yes, I was, I was at the march and I was totally in support of it, but I didn't actually walk with everyone. I was set up with another woman who uh, we, our goal was to collect um, donations for homeless families and women. So that's what we did for the majority of the march. And I fully intended on going or, you know, participating, but I didn't end up participating. And I, you know, so I don't know if uh, that has, is part of why I don't feel as connected to the movement of it, you know, uh, because I had my own kind of strange experience uh, on the periphery of it, you know, which definitely has been illuminating for me, you know, as I've thought about it. Jessica, so, I really want you to share that story, but I want to back up for just a minute yeah. and say that the way Jessica and I know each other is because immediately after the election, we both found each other on Pantsuit Nation, the, the Portland chapter on right. Facebook. And I just posted uh, that I'm, I'm feeling compelled to take direct action. And the things that I'm going to do immediately are to offer free weddings for people who are LGBTQ to create a sanctuary in my congregation and uh, to work with the Muslim students at Portland State University who pray in our building weekly. So I just said, if anybody is interested in doing this work with me, please contact me. And Jessica is the only one who responded. Really? And and I, yeah, you're the only one. And so she and I connected immediately. We went to coffee together and ended up being like, I don't know, two and a half hours. Yeah. And she told me about her background and she told me that she's just sort of taken it upon herself to be kind of a, a neighborhood organizer. So, Jessica, if you can share two things, what you're doing locally in your neighborhood with your neighbors and also sure. then what you saw at the Portland March. Yes. Thank you. I, was, I think I was losing track of uh, Dan's question to me earlier. But I have kind of increasingly over the years been taking more and more action with um, – the the folks that I see on the street who desperately need help and desperately need acknowledgement and, and our time and our understanding and our energy. So that kind of has moved from giving things out of my car, you know, car window to now doing um, direct outreach, making food, bringing it to people, advocating in my neighborhood for people to bring donations to my porch. And I bring them directly to people. Part of kind of what really made it intense for me is over the summer, I became aware of a family of four uh, with the mom was pregnant at the time as well living out of their van by the park at my house. And for the most part, you know, neighbors were pretty conscientious uh, about being respectful, but no one had yet gone to them. And so I thought I've got to, I can't just know that they're there and not do anything. So that kind of started me on this journey to just jumping into their lives and um, many other neighbors came and um, we just, you know, helped to lift them up out of this time. I, I won't say that we did everything, but we did some pretty intense support with food and raising money so they could stay in a hotel for a week. It was really an incredible force of of love and intention and compassion. So that has just kind of they now are housed, which has nothing to do with anything I did. Um, they were working with someone who got them housed. 
but it really was clear that, you know, that wasn't just a one-off sort of thing. There are also some campers in our neighborhood who had a big group had been swept out and now with the, with the cold weather had been, have been trying to survive in this neighborhood. And so I've been doing outreach to them and getting to know them and really trying to just start with the people that are right in my neighborhood probably much to the dismay of some of my neighbors, which that's really too bad that they're yeah. looking at the world like that. But So can you tell us about this experience you had? You described it as on the fringes of the march, which I think you meant you weren't there primarily as a marcher, but as like a vendor trying to raise money and awareness and email addresses or something like that. And so you're on the outskirts of the march and you had a strange experience. What was yes. that? Well, we weren't a vendor. I mean, we were literally just two two women who also met on a Facebook group who just said, we want to try and do this. So we didn't collect any money. We were just collecting some supplies and happened to have a big tent and were set up by the Hawthorne Bridge. And I had a feeling there would be some houseless folks under the bridge, uh, just, you know, in that covered area. And it was pouring rain that day. And so we got there at 10 o'clock. So we were there well in advance of the, the march starting. But there were hundreds of people in where we were, you know, trying to get out of the rain and coming and trying to find their friends. And so there were tons of people who were literally standing 50 feet in front of about eight folks who had nowhere else to go because they were homeless, um, a very young couple, some older gentlemen. There was one man laying on a tarp, um, shaking uncontrollably. And I just found it so incredibly bizarre and, and not in a judgmental way like I was angry at the marchers, but I thought, okay, this is, this is how far we are. This is the work to be done is to bridge that gap of really seeing who is in front of you, literally who is in front of you, and feeling compelled to do something about it. And not feeling compelled, doing something about it. Yeah. So you felt like... And no one did. You felt like, okay, great, everybody's here in solidarity for all of these causes, but there are like eight people dying in front of them. and Starving, literally starving. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So that's like, not only it's a metaphor and it's an actual experience, right? Yeah. And like I said, I, I'm not, I'm not angry at people because they don't know what to do, but that just to me really kind of summarized, there's the work that needs to be done is figuring out how you can take action. But, but even more so than that, just being willing to look, just being willing to Really look at what's in front of you, even if it makes you uncomfortable, you know, and that is whether we're talking about racism, any kind of discrimination, there is a discomfort that I think people don't want to feel in their own mind, psychological discomfort that they don't want to feel. Christian, you want to get in on this and ask something? I mean, I I think not so much a, a question as a just a thought. I've been as much a critic of marches for the sake of themselves as as anyone else, I think. And sometimes I find that people do it to uh, be able to drop the humble brag. You know, well, I took place and, you know, I took part in this march and, you know, then they feel better about themselves. 
if that is why you are doing it, uh, you know, then I think it doesn't obviously uh, you might as well not participate. Sometimes I think people need it for catharsis because they feel a sense of despair or hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think catharsis is a legitimate reason to come together with people in a chorus of voices and to express yourself. Also, people feeling that despair were feeling terribly isolated, uh, especially if they were in uh, more socially conservative areas and they didn't identify with that cohort of people politically or socially. Uh, and so to come out and be with possibly what a million and a half other people who are passionate about what you're passionate about gives you some hope. I, I read a piece yeah. in Time Magazine about this, about how the, the march is gradually coalescing into a movement. And we've seen like with the Arab Spring, we've seen with uh, Occupy, how something without particular and intentional focus can lose its way. And it's momentum. But one of the things I thought was interesting in the piece by time is that they said the group Our Revolution that was started around Bernie Sanders campaign for president. Yeah, because they were present and they were involved in the in the march. They have seen affiliate chapters around the country increase their uh, participation tenfold, Mm -hmm. tenfold. And so the average instead of 15 to 20 of participation is 150 to 200 per group. And those groups do have particular agendas. Right. Uh, So I think we, you know, to to make a plenary judgment and to say, you know, marches are pointless, marches are important. You know, I think it really depends on the intent and the, uh, the direction, the intention behind it. Yeah, I would say so long as it's not a replacement for action. I mean, yeah. marching is the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a yeah. catalyst, but that's it. Uh, it yeah. doesn't like get you off the hook. You know, there's not like a quota we meet in terms of right. public service or looking out for each other. Um, it's a great way to connect with other like-minded people to be inspired because we do mm-hmm. need that. Because this is going to be a long journey. This is a yeah. long haul, a heavy load we're carrying. Uh, so we need that. And I've heard from so many people who were, I mean, I have family members that were in Washington um, and women friends from all over the country that marched and they all talk about how beautiful it was. And it's like, great. Now, what are you going to do? And I, that's what I invited you to come on today, Jessica, because I just, I love what you're doing with your life. Well, thank you. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, I keep thinking about the movement and everyone's talking about the movement. And, you know, every time I hear that, I'm like, Am I the only one who has no idea what the hell that means? <laughs> right. I just, like, what what movement? And I think that uh, what I really think we are so accustomed to is being directed and told what to do and have this assumption that there is an authority that knows better. And I have been, every day, I'm like, somebody's got to fix this. Somebody knows better than me. Somebody is more organized than me. Someone Mm -hmm. has an answer that I don't. And yeah, like you you said, Amy, the starting point of the march is like, if that invigorates you, if that gives you some solace and some hope, that's wonderful, but I think it's it's completely subjective what you put into it and what you get out of it and what you then go do. So like painting those, the marchers with a, the giant brush of that it is a movement, I think it's actually more personal. I think it's really just about the individual. 
You, you know? said something interesting, Amy, earlier that I'd like you and Jessica to to touch on. You said Jessica was the only one who responded to your Pantsuit Nation post. When you said what that was, I interpreted it as, hey, I'm a liberal Christian female minister. I want to do something real about this. And it was crickets, basically. Do you think yeah. there there's something to the fact that you are coming from a religious perspective? Or do you think that just that particular group of Pantsuit Nation group was just not very active? Or like, do you guys have any sort of insights as to why that would be the case that Jessica was the only respondent? So it's really interesting that you pick up on that, Dan, because one of the things I made very clear or tried to in my post, I don't know if you remember this, Jessica, is I said, this is not an attempt to get you to come to my church yeah. or or to ascribe to my beliefs. This is me trying to do something based on what I believe. And if you want to join me, I, I don't care what religion you are. I don't yeah. at all. I, I just want to do this. In fact, it's interesting to note that Jessica was raised in a secular Jewish home. I don't know. You can maybe say more about your crush on Jesus or however. <laughs> but, um, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You need to ask her about that. But um, so well, if I go that far, but. Right, right, yeah, right. The interesting thing, when I say nobody responded, Jessica is the only one who actually wanted to meet and do something. Um, that astounds me. I just, uh, like, I, this is new information to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And that kind of blows my mind. Really. Yeah, it did mine but. too. I mean, I had a couple people say, oh, you could do my wedding. And only one lesbian couple took me up on it, actually followed through. And I did the wedding uh, after Christmas. But those are the only two. And so Jessica is the only person who's who's taking action. And I mean, if that's our ratio of like voices versus people who really like put their quote unquote boots on the ground, we are in trouble. Well, I, I do want to jump uh, to add a little bit on top of that. Um, a couple of thoughts. One is, yes, maybe only one person responded on Facebook, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily a statement on people writ large as it is the dynamic of what Facebook is about, which is 10 miles wide and an inch deep. And, <laughs> and so to get people to go further in that context is sort of a violation of this implicit social contract that we have in social media in some ways. Now, I'm, not, I'm saying that a little bit cynically, but I think also that it's yeah. a legitimate critique. And yet when she announced uh, the, the morning following the election, the three things we're going to do with our church, we're going to build showers, create a sanctuary space for refugees uh, and immigrants, uh, offer those weddings, and uh, then meet with the, the Muslim students. 300 Muslim students and their imams associates, and, and friends from their, mosques. their friends, family, and, and imams came to a meeting and about 100 a week come to their prayer meeting there to have dialogue. And also right after that church service, some people came up and said, what can we do to help? And they're almost finished building those showers. So I think that speaks somewhat to the context in which you frame the calls to action. And so I think, I think we have to consider that. And, and also where our responsibilities are to equip and empower people like Wild Goose Festival in North Carolina, they uh, they thought about moving it because of HB two, you know the uh, the, bathroom. the bathroom bill. Yeah. But they're actually going to stay and actually make it a you know with William Barber, they're they're going to make it an issue. Yeah. But they're also going to have workshops on how to organize in your local communities, how mm-hmm. to run for office, and how to plug in 
in relevant ways to live out these things that you believe. So sometimes it's the context itself, the environment and the expectation going in. And, and I think we have to be careful on too much you know, judgment on the people themselves versus the climate. Yeah. I will. Can I just jump in and say, yeah. I, I would 100% agree with you up until about a month ago, which uh, is when I got connected through a neighbor with this group called Free Hot Soup that does uh, a regular feed for, for homeless folks downtown, and then they do mobile outreach directly to campers and individuals. And they organize strictly on Facebook. And I have never seen, I mean, maybe I'm just super late to the game, which uh, is probably the case for lots of things, but <laughs> I had never seen organizing and mobilizing and communication like this. So I'll just say that I think it's absolutely possible. We're just like, we're babies with all this stuff. We're just yeah. learning how to utilize the tools and to change what it has been instead of it being this completely kind of shallow, superficial experience. It can actually be this force of hundreds of people. And I've seen it in action. And it is so inspiring and amazing that I would say that we haven't even tapped into the potential. So like, it's time to start encouraging people to use those tools in different ways. I'm hearing a common theme from all three of you. And it, it sounds to me, I want to say it kind of like this. We don't want our action to become a simple bourgeois, buy a pair of Tom's shoes and then forget about it kind of a thing. And I'm hearing yeah. that in a few different shades. And where my mind is going is something that I think about often. It's like, I live in a beautiful house with many bedrooms on a wooded lot north of Seattle. I make plenty of money to pay for my life. I am very comfortable. I never go hungry. I never sleep cold. And yet I might have been born into a favela in Rio de Janeiro. And I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that's just like a brute fact about the world that it will probably take my entire life to come to terms with the fact that I was not born into Rio de Janeiro into a poor Brazilian family. But to just say, oh, I'm boycotting the Olympics because of how they're treating the kids in the favela. Like that's not that doesn't go anywhere near the amount of empathy and compassion that we might hope for ourselves long term. So there's yeah. it's a similar kind of a divide of like you don't want to shit on people for having done something that did cost them some sacrifice. And so I am yeah. absolutely not doing that. But it is also true that I drive, you know, a car that gets only 20 miles a gallon and the oil comes from wherever it comes from and it has these like all of these things are true i'm sitting on a plastic chair mm -hmm. all of these my life is inextricably linked to so much some really beautiful industry and creativity and jobs for people and then also some really unfortunate and kind of evil in the world that produces all of the goods that i use and you know you don't want to just like dwell there all the time. But I think that, Jessica, your story kind of brings it into perspective. 
we are not comfortable with helping those eight homeless people who are right in front of us. If I had been at that march, I would have been one of those people you would have been mad at who was not <laughs> helping the homeless people because I am not in the habit of helping homeless people. Until I get in the habit of it, I won't do it. Yeah. Okay. Right? So to that point, there are agencies and there are spiritual communities that have many, many, many years of practice and a rhythm right. to doing mm-hmm. this. And I'm not advocating for my specific brand of, of faith, but I'm just saying people have committed many, not just hours, years of sweat equity in this. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an opportunity for those organizations to um, really uh, re-energize mm-hmm. and to call on people and equip them to do this work. Now, yeah. it's not about getting credit. It's not about being right. It's not about uh, winning because that's that's this dichotomous language that our, our country is so divided around right now. And it, it's not going to work. I'm yeah. not interested in it. In fact, I, I want to we've got to find ways to get past it. So I have to go to church, speaking of spiritual communities. <laughs> um, but I want to leave you all with that thought and kind of push you to think about ways that um, faith communities and, and social services and, and nonprofits can work together. Yeah. And people like Jessica. Well, it's an invitation for those organizations to get members. It's also an invitation for us to join those organizations as non-members, right? Yeah. It yeah. goes. It's a call to action to both people who are already organized and those who are not yet involved in anything organized to actually put our money where our mouth is. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've, I've thought a lot about and, and written about is the difference uh, between giving to charity and having a charitable heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is that a lot of times we give just enough uh, from our reserves, from our mm-hmm. leftovers, to assuage the sort of latent guilt of being so privileged. And yes. for our privilege to come at the expense of those without, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you're saying, uh, Dan, that, that uh, the very state of your life comes at the expense of others. Um, and as does mine. And so rather than really radically changing the way that I live entirely, turning it inside out. Now we've had people live in our home and we try to do some things that actually we feel orient us in that direction. But the reality is there's only so far each of us is willing to go. And, uh, I, I can't remember which the guy who wrote call the wild Jack London said, it's only charity giving dog to a bone when you're actually as hungry as the dog already. Giving a bone to a dog? Well, it, yeah, the idea meaning it's only truly charity giving something of yours to someone else if you are actually in as much desperation or as need of it as they are. Yeah, if it costs you something, yeah. Right, it, it, it's sacrificial charitability. And a lot of times... We will go just so far. And this is an indictment of, of myself as well. So, so that's a real challenge for us because in order to exact that systemic change that will probably radically change the paradigm, mm-hmm. it's going to take probably more sacrificial change from all of us than so far we've been willing to give. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just, uh, like I said, baby baby steps and you know, it starts with your awareness. Mm-hmm. It starts with going to that march and seeing all these people and feeling like, wow, I'm a, I'm a person that has an opinion and has something. 
And then my hope when I'm talking to someone, I, I always have this hope in my head that someone sees me talking to someone on the ground and touching them and, you know, being right next to them and doing whatever I'm doing that it, if nothing else, it plants a seed in their mind of that looks like a completely normal person that has no more superpowers than me. Maybe I could do that. So that's like another, another seed towards stepping forward. And yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to be steps of, understanding that you're you're not always going to be comfortable and that there are some sacrifices but also I feel like the way I look at it is everyone has a part holds a piece of the puzzle maybe you have an extra tent and that act of giving it to me so I can bring it to someone it's not revolutionary necessarily but then you see oh I actually have something to give and I am part of the solution in these small ways I think it's really in all small acts of, of movement forward and really just compassion. You know, I know I'm not changing the world, but I want to put into action being a better human. Yeah. Mm. You know, well, Amy and Christian, thank you for having this conversation with me and with Jessica. I know you guys got to go. Jessica and I are going to continue talking here. You bet. Thanks guys. Thank Thank you. you. Really appreciate it. And have a good time in Hawaii. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Don't feel guilty about it, Amy. It's fine. Have a wonderful time. Yeah, we'll do our best. So talk to you all soon. Okay, see ya. All right, bye. Okay, so we're continuing this conversation with Jessica here. And Jessica, I want to ask you, what do you think was meaningful about the fact that this march was led by and primarily attended by women? What message does that send both to our leaders and to our sons and daughters, neighbors, etc.? Well, I think it was powerful to see women stepping into their a place of empowerment and giving themselves permission in a way that, and not even permission, it's just moving to a place of public, giving themselves the authority to do whatever they needed to do and to be heard. And I think that's a really powerful thing. I mean, one of the things that has been painful for me as a woman during this as the election got closer and closer and more things were coming out in the news and more behavior was coming out, it really, I mean, it was just reminding me of all of the things of being a woman, uh, oppression or silence or inequality that just are inescapable that we, uh, that we are confronted with all day long. And I'm a white woman, so I can't even begin to speak about what it is to be a a woman of color. But I know as a woman, it's a definitely a real thing, but it's so all of that is so internalized. It's just what we feel collectively has to be kind of shoved down to function in our world. You You're know? saying just that's the general fact of being a woman in America. Yes. I think there is a level of fear and uh, worry that every woman has experienced in their lifetime that they carry with them every day, even in the smallest sort of ways, you know? Yeah. So to have women really 
have that much of a voice and be so powerful. And for me to even recognize like, Ooh, is that okay? And to think, well, why not? Like what we need to challenge our beliefs about who is qualified to lead and why they get to lead. I mean, you have to acknowledge that there's inequality for there to be any sort of like revolution of thought. So that was really powerful. And, and like I've said, you know, when I said earlier, like everyone is going to kind of come to their own, they're going to take away from that, whatever they do, you know, for some women, that was the first time that they've ever seen anything like that. Yeah. And for many, it's like, yeah, this is what I do all day long to a a smaller degree. Yeah. Yeah. Can you speak to a conservative woman right now? Can you make your case to them? Why what Trump said on the tapes, what Trump has said in the past, the way he campaigned, some of his aims for his administration. Can you speak to a skeptical conservative woman who's sitting there going, look, I understand that he is a jerk. Um, I've met a lot of jerks in my life, but I care about abortion. I care about small business. I care about communities and personal responsibility, why should they feel the need to act or to push back against President Trump or any of his policies? I feel like that would be a really long conversation. I mean, it probably would be (laughs) probably a lifetime conversation. I mean, part of me feels like I'd want to say, why can you not see this? Why what I feel and that moves me does not seem to move you, you know, like it seems like common sense or just a normal reaction and, and feeling. So there's that like disbelief of what, why is there that division? And I've been thinking a lot about, I mean, I grew up in a very small town, very rural, very poor. So the conservatives that I have in my family or had in my family and that I grew up with, like I, I can relate to those people because I grew up with them. I know those, I grew up in a mill town, you know, Yeah. those are different, maybe different group of people than you're talking about. But, um, I don't know that I can answer that. I'm not even sure what I would say. I probably would start by just listening to what it was they had to say. I mean, I suspect that it would come down to perspective. Yeah. And sometimes perspectives come out of lack of experience, you know? And so maybe a conversation could be the thing that changes that perspective. You know, maybe it's my own, but it may not make any difference. I mean, I think that some people are very entrenched in those ideas of whatever it is of like, let's just say taking the sexist behavior and you excuse that that may just be a conditioning that has never been thought past, you know, I I don't know. It's a really, it's so complicated. I, I'm not sure what I would say. I really, I wish I had a better answer. No, I I, I think that is a great answer because I think it's a lifetime conversation. And you know, I talk about this stuff a lot. I think you have to go much deeper than the arguments that we are each conscious of and able to Mm -hmm. make. You have to go further down to fundamental assumptions about what morality is and and stuff like that. But maybe can you just talk about, let's just go granular, talk about the Access Hollywood tapes, okay, or tape, whatever, and, and Trump bragging about trying to sleep with a married woman, 
bragging yeah. about being able to grab women by their genitals and that he can get away with it because he's so famous. Let's just talk about that. As a woman, mm-hmm. uh, as an, you know, an activist woman, even though it sounds like your activism has more to do with the homeless community, but still just, a, you know, a woke woman. Uh, to use a contemporary parlance, what, yeah. what do you, what does that mean to you? Like that, that came out and that he is still elected or, you know, just talking about that. Well, that in particular, I was an uh, abused kid and teenager. And, um, so that was really, that was really hard to listen to. Well, thank you for being honest about this. <laughs> I did not do my background yeah. before asking this <laughs> that's question. Okay. I mean, uh, that's, uh. So, you know, it really, it was extremely uncomfortable and it really like got to this very deep, dark place in me. And I, and I found myself really reacting to it and also being even unable as much as my husband knows about my stories or experiences or whatever, he, even so we were it felt like there was just miles between us of me trying to explain what that meant to me, like where that, where it took me back to. Hmm. And I found that really, I didn't even know what to make of that. You know, it's like if here's someone who knows me best and is my partner in life and is so an amazing man, even I can't even explain to him what that is, you know, what that brought up in me. And so I also think there are just a lot of women who share a same um, sort of accidental ignorance, for lack of a better way to put it. You know, it's like they just maybe they haven't had exposure or they've been uh, abused in some way or they've just experienced life and they've just pushed it down as this is how the world is. This is the like acceptance of this ugliness that we don't we don't even know how to push back against it because it's so pervasive and and here it is being thrown in our face and being done by someone who has this it wasn't subtle at all you know like he there's no subtlety when it comes to him so it's like of course the way he talks about these things is going to be so dramatic and overblown and maybe it's easier to dismiss in some ways because Because it seems so like crazy. It doesn't feel like that kind of quiet oppression and assault, you know, that many people experience and many women experience. So I don't know. I mean, I actually had a cousin who had posted this terrible meme and I pushed back against it and he did not hear what I was saying about how illogical it was and how offensive it was. And I shared some of my personal stuff And a woman, the only person that had to say something pretty disparagingly, uh, disparaging towards me was another woman who was completely unsympathetic, who did not even, didn't even know how to hear what I was saying. Didn't, couldn't even say, wow, that sounds hard. I'm sorry. Like our ability to even see that we need to be compassion is like broken. Yeah. And there's some good research on why that is the case for us and why our political identities supersede so much of our other cognitive abilities. Um, But we won't have to get into it right now. (laughs) But that's that's hard. Yeah. So did you revisit those tapes and those thoughts as Trump was sworn in? 
Uh, or is it the kind of thing that you're like, well, you know, he's there. I, I'll just do what I can. I feel like I unpacked it a little bit. Okay. And now it's just kind of simmering on the back burner. Yeah. You know? Yep. Uh, because it's going to be a long conversation because I have a son and I'm going to have to continually start telling him more and more about what women's experiences are, what my experiences have been mm-hmm. and what I expect from him as a, as a young man. And I, I mean, I take being a mother of a boy super seriously because there's a lot of work to be done. So that's kind of like percolating, but I, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about safety and vulnerability and what is true about like me being a woman and my safety in the world. And I know that going out and talking to people, mostly men who are living on the street, it has always been something I've been nervous about. Yeah. And it's not that I don't get nervous now, but like I feel like I'm constantly now being in the position of really having to look at that. What is that vulnerability? And what's the, what's the truth about that? Am I just by nature of being a woman? Should I be more scared? Or is that in some ways a construct, you know? that I'm also buying into that I'm the weaker sex and I'm more vulnerable. Hmm. Well, there's, I mean, there's obviously a statistical biological difference in muscle mass and stuff like that, but beyond that. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I know that's kind of not what you're talking about necessarily, but there is some intersection on like my fear and, and having a lifetime of being afraid and then starting to do more and more of this work where I actually have, I have no time for that fear anymore. That is something I'm having to consciously put aside. And my husband is as well. He's not real crazy about it. And yeah, it still needs to be done, hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so let's get back to the March. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the very compassionate jump from talking about your history of being abused to abortion. Sure. We're just going to keep it real deep here. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask about the exclusion of pro-life sponsors from the march. But, but first, I think I need to ask you what your views are on that question uh, to calibrate your response for the listeners. Yeah. So what are your views on choice and abortion issues? I have always... I will always support a woman's decision to do that. Okay. I have not had to make that choice. I have had many friends who have, and we were in high school when some of them had to make that choice. Hmm. And then having my son later in life and knowing very firmly that we only wanted to have one child really made me think about it, like really reframed it for me. Hmm. There was never a time where I, I thought of it in a casual way, like eh, whatever, it's just, it's a choice and there's no like emotional content to that, you know, yeah. but the gravity of it, the older I get and being a mother, it's way serious, but I think I can look at it in a way that I wish it wasn't something that needed to be done. I wish it wasn't necessary. And I think it's painful. I think it's a really painful reality. Uh, and there's no denying that. And I, I don't know that you could talk to most women. I mean, everyone's going to have their own feelings about it, you know. 
But I don't know that there's one woman out there that's like, this is the greatest thing I have ever done. Like no one is celebrating. Yeah. You know? I, I think that people, people share pretty widely any photo of someone with an abortion on demand sign. And that gets a lot of people pretty alarmed because that sounds yeah. like it is incredibly cavalier. Yeah. Yeah. I don't imagine that's most people who hold pro-choice views. Yeah. So to answer your question, uh, while I have a lot of deeper feelings about it, I essentially absolutely support a woman's right to choose best. And I also a while ago had heard someone say, you know, like that is that is a woman in particular, that is their first act of being a parent is being able to look at their life look out into the future and see, will I be able to, to do for my child what I really want to? And it may be hard to think of it that way, but it is an act of compassion and, and love to a certain degree. Wow. That's interesting. I, I would push back on that if this conversation were about abortion and choice questions, but it's not. Yeah. So I'm just okay. trying to frame this. I just want to yeah, get yeah. A, okay. some background. So yeah, well, one of the criticisms, I would say it's the loudest criticism that I heard of the march, is that pro-life groups were not allowed to be sponsors of the march, even mm -hmm. if those groups had as part of their sort of organizational policy, women's health concerns, maternity leave, sort of these broad-based feminist aims. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of that at the time of the march? Had you seen anything about that? Okay. No. Did I just no. give you the news right now or did you see anything afterwards? <laughs> no, I had been, I had heard a little bit about okay. it, but I haven't dove too far into that. So no, I wasn't really that aware of it. So the, the concerns of those uh, thinkers and activists is like, hey, this really should be a women's movement, not just a Planned Parenthood movement or not a women's movement that assumes one of two very popular views on a very difficult and, and thorny subject. Yeah. How do you right. feel about the fact that those groups were not allowed to be sponsors as a pro-choice woman? I don't know. I mean, I feel like that com it's so hard to have that conversation that it's not necessary. That view is not necessarily in keeping with what I guess is a more typical liberal view. You oh, know, I think that's so, exactly, yeah, that's exactly what we're seeing. So yeah. it's, it's not in alignment and, but is this a liberal March? I mean, is it a, you know, I think it brings up the question of what's the March for. Right. And this yeah. is kind of, you were talking about this at the very beginning of the interview. What is the movement? What movement? It's a collection of individual movements. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So let's say I, I had a company and I wanted to be a sponsor and, and my company's aims were, number one, reduce the overall number of abortions. Mm -hmm. Number two, end third trimester abortion except in medical cases. Number mm -hmm. three, provide universal maternity and paternity leave so that people could have their children. Number four, make domestic adoption streamlined and far cheaper to make it much easier for yeah. women to give up their children for adoption who do not want to have abortion. Uh, yeah. And let's just say number five is like universal health care under a certain income line so that poor mothers do not have to have money be a determining factor for whether or not they have their children. Yeah. So let's say I was not for banning all abortions. That was my platform. 
Now, yeah. this is not a hypothetical organization. There are organizations like this. They have yeah. certainly not had the megaphone for the last 40 years in the conversation in America, but they do exist. And some mm-hmm. of those companies, I believe, are the types who were not allowed to be sponsors. Mm-hmm. Would you support or not support a company like that being able to march and, and sponsor the march? Well, all of those things that you just listed sound pretty reasonable to me, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, I think just going back to like your idea about greater good and kind of meeting in a middle ground, I think that it's unfortunate, I suppose, that they weren't able to participate. But again, I think there's a lot of worry that there's going to be some destabilizing if we open up conversations or, you know, open ourselves up to... Man, but isn't this exactly the thing... That you were, and I'm, I'm not trying to pin you down or anything. I'm just no, sort of yeah. spitballing. But this really sounds like the critique you had about the homeless people. It's like, um, well, we're not going to deal with homelessness because we're just focusing on women's issues, even though there are right. people starving right in front of us. That's yeah. not our, you don't want to get so granular, especially if the point of your movement is a broad coalition of causes. I mean, yes. on the Women's yeah. March page is like, we're here for Muslims, LGBTQ. We're here for women. We're here for basically yeah. anyone who's going to be adversely affected by this administration. Yeah. Yeah. It seems in a straightforward logic that any group that is advocating for health care and for maternity leave and stuff like that is, I mean, yeah. it's hard to skew that as part of a different cause. Yeah, It seems yeah. to me. I- Yeah, I agree with you. Well, undoubtedly, there are some really complex and hard conversations that haven't happened that need to happen. There are a lot of black women who were not happy about that march, were very skeptical, Mm. and I totally don't blame them. I mean, I feel I feel like in general, they're just what we are collectively being called upon to consider and really face and look at and start to dig into are some huge questions that we want to have an answer. We, and I think probably like on the, in the case of abortion, like it's like this dividing line that if you open up that conversation without any sort of preconceived notions that we have had, and we just talk about it, there has to be a brand new conversation, just like with race, just like with feminine, you know, looking at struggles between men and women, you know, just like there's, I think we just are so ill-equipped to talk about it because we, yeah. you know, any side can be like dug into like, no, this is how it is. But then that rigidity of like, if I give a little bit, what is that going to take away from me, yeah. or my cause or my stance? You know, man, but, I just uh, the I don't anticipate this will happen. I wonder what an incredible olive branch it would be to women on the right if the women's march officially said we are not taking one stance on abortion. We are taking one stance on women's health and all the groups that are a part of this have a major focus on women's health. And we're going to table the discussion of when a fetus becomes a human. We're just, we're just going to say there are differing views on that and we can vote and we can in our individual organizations do whatever we want, but man, what an olive branch that would be. Not just to women, to to any conservative. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the dominant or the mainstream view on the left personally is mature enough to do that. 
right now at this moment. Yeah, I wish it was. And I should just be clear. My views on abortion are hazy uh, in terms of (laughs) when does a child become a human? Like, you know, when does life begin? I think these are really hard questions. I think there's a really hard question of like, is there a point at which the mother's rights supersede the rights of a potential child? I think all this is complicated, but I so wish that all sides could work together on the statistically proven ways to reduce abortions. And that's actually mostly a critique I have for the conservative pro-life movement that they will not admit these obvious proven ways to reduce abortions. Isn't that the point to have fewer abortions? Right. Right. So that's me soapboxing for a second. Um, (laughs) Let's transition to practical questions. So, A lot of people were worried, myself, Amy included, that this is not going to turn into anything long term. It's just going to be a big moment of pink hatted catharsis that does not appear to be the case. And I must say, I am I have been very heartened that people are continuing these up with action that Christian mentioned the Our Revolution meetings increasing tenfold, which, by the way, I'm on that email list somehow. I think it's just Bernie's email list got turned into it. And I'm like, I don't actually want a revolution, but thanks for including me in the conversation. Um, (laughs) I don't even think I get it. Well, I think it's basically just Bernie's platform, you know, regulate Wall Street, money out of politics kind of stuff. Anyways, 10 actions in 100 days. That's the new thing. Uh, My wife and I are participating in it. Are are you and your husband participating in that? No. You're not. Is there a reason you're not? I Well, I just became uh, aware of it. Okay. I'm late in the game. Well, late I told to the you party. earlier. Okay. Well, late the, fir- to the party. The first yeah. action's easy. It's just writing a postcard or a letter to your senators. So I'll tell you. Yeah. I, by nature, I think I'm a pretty skeptical and very pessimistic person. As much as hopeful as I am, I also poo-poo a lot of things. Yeah. For no, for actually probably no reason. You know, just my own like, <laughs> that'll never work. And all of the letter writing and calling, logically, I know that it's important and I'm re- I totally support everyone doing it. But when it comes down to me doing it, I have this like complete resistance. I have no mm. idea where it comes from. Maybe it's just the voice of like, ah, what I do doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's so far have not been able to move beyond that. Well, let me just encourage you. <laughs> let me just encourage you that like, Empirically speaking, it does work. Like you talk to literally anyone who has ever worked in Washington, D.C., they notice when they get a pile of letters or phone calls about an issue. So I would just encourage you that you're wrong about that. And you know it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) In love. (laughs) Um, Well, okay. So the one thing that I thought was cool about it, I thought for that step, their broad coalition thing worked well because my wife and I wrote a letter of the things we care about. So oh, right. yes, I did. Yes, I did hear about this. So, like you know, that. we I said actually... we want refugees. Also, we're very moderate on abortion. We're not abortion hard left. We want you to cooperate with Republican senators. We, yeah. we don't want immigrants sent away. You know, we were able to say really specifically, these seven things yeah. are important to us. I thought that was cool. Um, I hope that it can, I hope that that broadness can continue and that these sort of 
more centrist pro-life and other kind of conservative movements, maybe even like a centrist, you know, efficient government kind of a movement or, you know, whatever, like things that the right brings to the table that are actually helpful. I hope that that Mm -hmm. can be brought. I, I am skeptical of that Yeah, and a little cynical, but interesting. So what I like to do before we end here is I like to have my guests speak to the left and to the right. This is depolarized after all. And I think that neither side has it all figured out. I think you have been, you've very clearly uh, agreed with that point of view. I want to ask you about the march, but actually I kind of want to ask you about that moment. Okay. Let's not talk about the whole march. Your experience Mm -hmm. you had with 150 to 100 marchers, well-dressed in their Patagonia and Lululemon in Portland, (laughs) or maybe some of their, it's Portland. So there's some like crazy haircuts and secondhand clothing as well. Yeah. 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 A nice, a nice blend. Mm -hmm. So you have this diverse group of basically people who have enough free time and resources to be here at this march. Eight Mm -hmm. people, some of whom are literally starving, homeless right in front of them, no interaction. And you have a booth right there about caring for the homeless, sort of like, hey, guys, (laughs) check it out. Okay, so that moment, that sort of heartbreaking and illuminating experience you had, what does that moment have to say to the left? How does that moment critique the movement of the left if you could just crystallize that into Mm. something? If it helps, think of a 28-year-old graphic designer who lives in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and like voted for Bernie, like just, okay, you have, have that person in your mind. What does that moment say to that man or woman? Uh, As far as what they should do or what they should reflect on. So you, uh, Amy mentioned you come from a Jewish family, secular Jew, but you still must be familiar with the prophetic tradition within Judaism. What is the prophetic message that that moment says to the left? Jeez. I think that it's an opportunity to see yourself in another person. Yeah. And that that is what really needs to guide you in life hmm. is that you are this person and they are you and there's a commonality. And that is hard to look at, but there's so much. There's so much beauty and understanding and such a gift. I mean, there's a gift. There's, it's not about you coming from this place of privilege and, and pity. It's about you just being on the same, in the same place as this person. And you have an ability to help and seeing yourself as a, as a part of that kind of greater humanity and greater equation. There is a person in front of you in need. You help them period. If I could not put words in your mouth, but take something you said earlier and put it here as well, it's almost like, why are you marching if you can't help the person right in front of you? There's a causal, logical link. Standing up to Trump and whatever he represents is maybe hollow if you aren't helping the actual person in need right in front of you. Yes. Okay. So now I want you to talk to the right And I'll give you a person to keep in mind. And the person for you to keep in mind as you address is a woman, a woman who is really involved at her church. She lives in North Dakota. 
and they have a soup kitchen every week and they have a feed the homeless program. And she's sitting there wondering, why does the federal government need to be helping people? Can't you see it doesn't do a good job? It's individuals. It's the church's job. That's the real way we ought to help people in need. Does this moment vindicate her a little bit? Is it a way to clasp hands with her and say, hey, you're kind of right, but we can do both. Let's work together. Or like, so what do you think that moment of that you had says to someone like that on the right? Well, yes, that is true. There is a moment there. There is a place of intersection of intention and, and, and doing. Yeah. But I also feel like one, it's great that you live it in that moment, but how are you demonstrating that in other ways? How are you helping other people grow that muscle? And, hmm. and also being a person who has always been completely outside of religion, even though I'm Jewish, that is a, that is a heritage. That is not yeah. my, you know, like frame yeah. of where I'm coming from necessarily religiously, but I have, a lot of criticism about, you know, Christianity or, or faith being the place that we rely on to lead that effort. And then also, I don't support any sort of smugness that might go along with that of like, we're actually better because we do a soup kitchen, like we're leading the charge and all of the secular people don't have the same theological tools to help them yeah. do be as good as, as we are, you know. Well, this, the smugness would be, of course, not welcome. But, you know, like the Catholic Church invented hospitals. I think we can be empirical about this and we can – I think there's a smugness that can be had on either side, right? Sure. There, there's oh, a yeah. liberal smugness as well of like you, – you can imagine you – know, I have an aunt who, whose church has like six of these programs, you know, this small church in Minnesota. And she's mm-hmm. just sitting there, sometimes goes, what the hell are they talking about that we on the right don't have compassion for people. Yeah. And I think that uh, the left in the African-American Christian uh, heritage has been much better about this maybe than the white Christian heritage, but it exists. So it's not, I, I hear what you're saying. I just, I wanted to push back a little bit on that yeah. to say some of this yeah. is, is empirically sort of measurable, you know? Well, I, I mean, I do think that give credit where credit is due. You yeah. know, I certainly think that there's more outreach and more kind of lived intention on a day that walking the walk, you know, and I think that's great. Like there's a lot of wisdom there. And, and as a person that's been doing this kind of completely on my own, it's hard to do on your own without the support of a bigger group. And, yeah, and, a, yeah. and a, also just like a deeper calling of this is how you should be as a human in the world, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't think we can just rest on that. I mean, just there's so much work to be done. There's so much under, more understanding to be had. And there's never a time where we should be satisfied with what we do and what we think. We should always be growing, you know, and pushing. But that's just my, <laughs> my opinion. That's on just it. like <laughs> your opinion, man. Well, yeah. uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. If people are in Portland... Can they get involved with you directly? Absolutely. And then yeah. where, do they, where do they go to find information about that? You know, there are lots of amazing groups that are doing pretty incredible things. N- many of them are not faith-based and they're all nonprofit. Sure. So it's kind of, you could pick your, pick your thing that you're interested in. And 
I'm just trying to be also a conduit for people to, so they can help plug into whatever it is they want to do. Yeah. So I have a, an email address that I can give you. If yeah. Well, if if you're in, in Portland, what, who do people email if they're important? How do they email you? My email address is many hands, RCP, Rose city park, my neighborhood, uh, at gmail.com. Okay. And yeah, it's just, it's really just a way for me to reach out to my neighbors, but it's a pretty central place to, to get a hold of me. And yeah. And then do you have any sort of online presence? Like, are you on Twitter or anything like that? I am, but not in this capacity. It okay. was, it was for my business and, and got it. Not now. So I'm a lurker. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was excellent, and thank you so much for your perspective. I hope that it's been helpful for everybody listening, and uh, keep doing amazing work. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It was really an honor, and uh, I loved it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, if you are not a subscriber to the Depolarized podcast, we'd love it if you would consider it. Conversations are trying to bridge the gap between left and right and find common language, common ground. We are tired of the polarization of political conversation in America, and we want to move forward in empathy, compassion, and clear communication with each other. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, come say hey. Uh, as well as those of you depolarized listeners who are always with us, please share this episode if you felt it was helpful. That's the best way to get the word out. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Homebrewed Culture Cast, Amy and Christian are in Portland and they discuss pop culture, news, and parenting through the lens of Christianity. And I must say as well, just because our podcast is not Christian, it's pretty liberal Christianity, if you had to put a name on it, uh, which you probably could tell, given what Amy said about offering to do free LGBTQ weddings and set up sanctuary for immigrants and refugees. So if you didn't pick up on that, they are coming from a liberal perspective. Excellent people. Definitely check that out if it sounds interesting to you. We'll see you next week.